Hello and welcome to All for United and a very, very special United Daily today. As we remember the babes, we remember those that lost their lives in Munich, the tragic accident that was in 1958 that's enriched in our history. Of course, this weekend, Manchester United, the Manchester Munich Memorial Foundation and all those involved with the club took some time uh, to remember those who sadly lost their lives, but also to reflect on the massive part that the the Busby babes and 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 this accident, so to speak, has in, in our history, the way it's engraved in our history and it's made us the club it is today. Um, as ever, during these special shows, we're joined by just three of the most amazing men that I've met doing this content, doing these shows, um, authors, historians, but also two people who were lucky enough to see the babes, uh, Roy Kavanagh and Tom Clara with us. And as ever, for these shows, we couldn't do it without Patrick Burns, the chairman of the Manchester Munich Memorial Foundation. This is a time for us all to reflect. This is a time for us to learn. And this is an opportunity for us to really grasp the big moment that was in our history and the impact it's had on this current Manchester United side. I, I Do you know what? I've put on the oldest um, or the most historical bit of clobber that I've got in my, it's only a replica, of course, that I've got in my wardrobe. But I thought it was fitting because during these shows, it's always nice to take a step back into history and learn about those generations and generations before us that have made such a massive difference to what we see today. So uh, look at that, Patrick. I'm uh, I'm going to come over to you to start That's with, mate. The one um, and only Liam Billy Whelan. Very good, very good. Very I'm good. Uh, I'm going to come over to you first of all, Patrick, for yeah. a, for a little tribute from yourself um, of that tragic night of uh, for, for the babes and those who lost their lives. Okay, thank you, Ben. Thank you for inviting me on again, and it's great to see Roy and Tom looking so well. So here we are, sixty-three years on. Um, and a very different uh, memorial this year. Uh, you know, we've had to we've had to do it remotely. But the great thing for me is that Manchester United fans all over the world have not allowed this anniversary to go unpassed or unforgotten. And great things have been done. Um, and it's a sign of the times. You know. I had to cancel, we had to cancel the official memorial service down in, in Kirchtrudering in Munich uh, because of COVID. It, it's as rife in Germany as it is here. It's the right thing to do. It was the responsible thing to do and it was the respectful thing to do. And, and in its absence, Bayern Munich had a, had a wreath laid. The Red Docks Munich laid a wreath down there. I was very fortunate because even though they're in the same uh, draconian restrictions we are in, um, the two chairmen from the children's charities down in Munich, so that's Oliver Groth and Rudiger Hyde, that they run these children's charities that we support. They they went to Manchester Platz on uh, Saturday and laid the fans' wreath on behalf of all United fans for the MMMF. And we were able to put a short video out for that. Uh, personally, I, I watched the online service that Mike Thomas at Munich 58 put out with uh, United through MUTV. I thought that was, was very dignified, very poignant, very respectful. Mm. And uh, what day is it? Uh, yesterday, I got this lovely uh, piece written to me from Belgrade from the under-18 coach, Dragon Hel Herelia. 
and the boys who, who play under-18 football for FK Studenskigrad, who we look after there as well with, with sports gear, those boys, they went to the Majestic Hotel in the centre of Belgrade and they laid flowers in the reception. And then they went and played a football match and kicked off at 3.04. This, this is young teenagers kicking off in the snow in Serbia at 3.04 in memory of the Busby Babes. So it, I think it's been absolutely brilliant. Yes, yes, it's sad and yes, it's regrettable that we couldn't be there, that I couldn't see Tom Clare there or, or thousands, hundreds of Reds were due to be there. But, you know, the... I was talking um, to the guys in Malta um, on, on Friday. I was due to meet the Malta branch in Belgrade last Wednesday and travel to Munich with them. We, we couldn't do any of that. Um, so no, no sort of official commemoration down in Munich, but we did our best uh, um, and it was done respectfully and, and, and with dignity and, and I'm very grateful to everybody who, who played their part in, in making that happen. It's, as I've said, they can't ever be forgotten and they never will be forgotten. While there are people like us and thousands and thousands of people like us around the UK and around the world, you know, this team, they will never be forgotten. And, and not just the team, the three club officials, the eight journalists, the two members of the crew and Bella Miklosh. The, uh, the travel agent and the survivors and all their families and the descendants who've had to carry this for 63 years. So different but respectful, Ben. It was different, but I, I agree with you completely. The way the Manchester United fan base came together, not just to say that they're going to watch, not just to change their profile pictures. For me, it was this sheer sharing. I don't know if you guys saw this, of the live stream of people encouraging each other to watch and to take some time out. Just take that 15, 20 minutes uh, to remember this this part of our history and, and to play their own part. Um, go on, Patrick, sorry. Two little things that I would love to say, because th th there's not any travelling in Manchester. Mm -hmm. two, two members of the MMMF live very close to Manchester United and to, and to Salford Wee Cemetery. So Tony Crook was able to go and lay flowers at, at, at the memorial stone in, in a safe way. And Tommy Faraday was able to go and do the same at the graves of Eddie Coleman and Jeff Ben. So I want to mention, oh, these are the kind of things that people, I know Matty Battle was out there, Martin McVarner, mm -hmm. people arranged to have others laid flowers in. People did extraordinary things is what I'm saying in these extraordinary times. And that's, that's a great, it's given me personally a, a great boost that in the work we mm -hmm. do, it, it won't ever be forgotten. It really won't, yeah. Ben. And, and, and the people you reach out to listening to, to me, and particularly listening to these two great men, you know, it, we're, we're passing the message on in, in the most dignified and responsible way we can. And, and you know what? You say these extraordinary times, these extraordinary things that we are doing. Um, I am, and I'll put this out on Twitter earlier on, I, I feel privileged to be able to anchor this show and, and host it because it means that I get to ask some questions to you guys that might seem blanket questions to some. But to actually be able to feel, and I think this is what comes across in the Jimmy Murphy, the Duncan Edwards, uh, the Tommy Taylor shows, is that 
Roy, Tom, the, the other amazing guests that we've managed to have on, the way that they speak about the babes and the players that they once saw, you can feel it. It, it brings them to life and it really generates an energy that is that is undescribable. And I hope you guys watching and listening also get that energy. And I think that leads us on perfectly, Roy, uh, for me to ask the first question. Obviously, this show is is quite broad in terms of that we're, we're covering the babes. We're remembering the babes. We're remembering those that lost their lives. But I, I want to talk about the team, Roy. How did they make you feel? How did the Busby Babes make you feel on those times that you that you watched them play? Just before I tell you, Ben, uh, I'd like to also pass my regards on to to Pat for what, what he's done at the MMMF uh, over well over a long time, but this weekend was very very uh, very respectful, uh, and also uh, the Mike Thomas thing uh, and MUTV take a bit of stick, but uh, MUTV. But what they did on on Saturday was very moving, and uh, the the Reverend John even slipped in uh, the name of my very close friend Alan Bradshaw, one of the uh, big tour guides and uh, big in in size and uh, and and mind, um, and and that was very moving for me, and also for me to be alongside um, Tom Clare because um, of, of of our age, um, he is somebody I look up to tremendously. Uh, I think I've got a decent memory and regard of, of United, but uh, even I stand aside when, when Tom speaks. Uh, it's quite brilliant. Um, there was only one name that slipped out there, uh, and I know Pat had a lot on his mind there, but uh, Tom will probably mention him in a minute, but Willie Satanoff, we need to recall oh, yeah. as well. Uh, that was the 23rd. Uh, that team, well, of course, you're very impressionable when you're 10 or 11. And uh, and when you go and watching a team that's winning, I saw them lose only occasionally, but I did see them lose. And you think, did that really happen? I can't believe that. Um, but they were so vibrant. They were so vibrant. They were so exciting. Um, and one thing younger people perhaps won't even understand what I'm talking about here, so I'll try and clarify it. But if you imagine the late 50s, the world was only 13 years after the Second World War. And it was still a dank, dark, I wouldn't say miserable, but it, it wasn't a, an enlightened place. People were still remembering, uh, you know, 13 years ago, what they'd been through for six years. And the younger people growing up, the first thing that I, I really struck me and still does looking back was the lack of colour. You know, ladies yeah. didn't walk around in greens yeah. and yellows and reds and whatever. It, and the men was grey and that. It, it was a, a very colourless society. So when you watched a football match, and uh, obviously United had the red shirts on, but the opposition teams, you know, West Brom with the blue and white stripes, and uh, uh, you, you see teams coming in uh, dark blue shirts and even the white shirts and the colour. And the goalkeepers uh, was what I was attracted to. Ray, that's why I was attracted to Ray Wood as my hero, because he wore a different shirt in red than what the other team members did. <laughs> but the, you had opposition goalies would wear yellow, uh, blue, even white. I mean, you know, the game just lifted you. That's what you lived for. That was the excitement. No Twitter, no Facebook, no Instagram, no Sky 24 Hour, no talk sport, no reality shows. Your reality show, all of those, was watching Manchester United. And... Mm. And then after the crash, um, whilst they had three or four years of uh, 
instability in a way till probably till Dennis joined us. You know, they were your team. So it didn't, well, it did matter if they lose, but, you know, they were your team. They were playing for you to enjoy and you'd have a bit of a moan walking home. But that was it then. Monday, it was, it was still your team. Um, and, you know, it's never left me um, all those all those years on. And mm-hmm. we, we're very, very lucky to be supported and associated with a quite magnificent club. Mm-hmm. And there are things that we could change. There's a lot of things. But it's like we are in the league table now. There's 18 other teams would swap with us. And it's only City there at the eight. One slip and eight. We beat them at Main Road or whatever they call it now. And we're, we're in with a chance. But it's 18 teams worse than us. Uh, or would rather swap with us. Um, my memories of them have never gone away, thankfully. Uh, and I, I'm also proud to be alongside Tom and Pat, uh, who do fantastic work for the memory of, of the team. Thank you. Tom, uh, Roy, there. The uh, the the world was a dark place back then, and the, and the base brought brightness to, to to Roy's life. I think that's really just a poignant way to put it. Um, how would you put it, Tom? How did the Bays make you feel when you would go and watch them on, on the terrace? Well, it, well, it, it it did. You know, I mean, it, it, the feel good factor that we got from it back then it, it was absolutely enormous. But first of all, I just want to nail a little myth uh, about the. Uh, the, the youth policy at United, and 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 that is that uh, a lot of today's uh, media and a lot of the, the fans uh, think that it was Samat that introduced the uh, the youth policy at Manchester United, but sadly that is not the case. Uh, it was down to uh, Mr Gibson back in 1938 who who, who formed the Moojacks who went and, and said that United, you know, had been spending too much money on players who didn't do it for us and that his vision for the club was the um, was the implementation of a youth where we got all the local kids, the best local kids, brought them into Old Trafford and that they were nurtured in, in a system that produced the players for the first team. And, of course, at the outbreak of the, uh, the war in 1939, then um, uh, it, it stopped that policy and, it, and, and they started to have a little bit of success with it. So anyway, fast forward to 1945 after the war when uh, you know, Matt Busby was approached to take the club over. Uh, when he went down to the Cornbrook Cold Storage for his interview with Mr Gibson, Mr Gibson outlined the youth policy that he wanted uh, to him and, and Matt embraced it. Matt embraced it fully uh, and, and went on board with it 100%. And then, of course, he made his best signing ever in Jimmy. And they started to put the uh, the nuts and bolts together then. Uh, they, they they had a, a reasonably good team when, when they started just after the war. And, and, and we had some good successes uh, right up to winning the first championship again in 1952. But then that team had grown old. But by this time... Uh, um, the the, uh, the chief scout had, had started pulling all these young kids in, not only from Manchester, but from all around Great Britain. And we were starting to see the emergence of this tremendous youth policy. The Youth Cup was implemented 1952-53, which they, they won in a canter. Uh, and then, of course, they started feeding these kids through to the first team, you know, at, at sort of 17, 18. In fact, Duncan was 16 when he made his deb- debut. But Jeff Whitefoot, the, the youngest babe ever to play in the first team in, in, in a first division game, again, at just over 16 years of age. So, as Roy said, 
you know, by this time, 52, 53, we were still only seven years after the war and rationing was still in, in place. There were still troubles throughout the world that, you know, we were sending troops to. Um, national service was still in, in going on then. And, and the, the, the week, you know, you look forward to Saturday. And of course, Old Trafford back then, when you started getting all these young kids in there, it was an absolutely vibrant place. Um, there was some opposition to it. Uh, you know, some people didn't think it would work, but it, it took probably two, three years. And then we got we got that wonderful season, 1955-56, when they won their first championship with an average age, 22 years. And they won it by the, the largest margin since 1897. They, you know, they won it by 11 points. But you had this magic team, these kids, you know, who were so accessible. That was the great thing. You know, they, they they were just every boy, every everyday boys. They, you know, you'd see you'd see them out and about in the community. Uh, they were just local kids who, who happened to play football, love the club, um, and and they played this exciting, vibrant, you know, game. And and it, you went every week. Saturday was your time. You know, three o'clock Saturday. That was the, that was the week, and uh, you you went there. And win, lose, or draw, you came away. You came away with a feel-good factor, you know, and, and seeing these bright young kids doing something that had not been done before because back then, uh, you know, kids playing in the first team, it was looked down on, you know, as, oh, you know, they're not ready yet, you know. But there again, they hit the front. And when they did, they did it in a spectacular way. And as Royals say, you know, it, it was magic to watch them. And, and it, it made you weak, you know, and um, it, 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 it gave you this, this wonderful feeling, you know, and you couldn't wait to get back there. And, and, and Roy's the same as me. I used to go to Old Trafford and I'd watch the youth team, I'd watch the reserve team, I'd watch, you know, anything that was going on at Old Trafford, you know, and, and, and you got to meet, I mean, the kids back then, it's so different today. The kids back then, they could go, but go over to Old Trafford in safety. There were no, no problems. And you used to get this band of kids every game there, reserve team games, first team games. You'd wait outside the main doors waiting for the players to come out. And, and they never refused you. They never refused you autographs or anything like that. I mean, you could even get inside the main doors there. And, and, and as you went inside the old main doors, right facing you was the tunnel. And after games, you'd get this gang of kids that get together and you'd all be fighting to run down the tunnel, you know, and you'd, you'd run down there and, and out you'd see the stadium open up before you and the groundsmen would be laughing, you know. I mean, you couldn't do that today. Those memories are, are just so precious. But, but to see the to see the babes... Tom, you know. sorry, can I just quickly ask you, sorry, and, and you can move on to yeah. talking about seeing the babes yeah. there a little bit. I just wanted to ask, could you also just expand slightly on, you mentioned about watching them was magical. Could you expand yeah. on how they played? What was so magical about, about the way those 11 men would go onto the pitch together and play a style of football that was so good to, to watch? Could, could, for, for fans who don't know, haven't yeah. been able to see any clips, how, how, how did they play? I don't want to say what was their style of play, but what yeah. was so magical about the way they played the game? Well, because they were so positive. Uh, everything was was so positive with them, and uh, they used to play a, a fast, free flowing game. Uh, there, there was never anything, you know, that that was negative about it. And I mean, they could play in their formations back then. They four two four, four three three, as they would put it today. I mean, we used to call them the old WM formations, yeah. and and they could play in that style. And and they they always had this 
positive attacking uh, ethos. And and it was great to see, you know, two wingers uh, who, who, who were fast, who were quick. You had, I'll tell you, they had three great inside forwards there in Whelan, Taylor and Violet. And, and, and they were absolutely, if they were playing today, I mean, they, they would be a knockout. But they were backed up by a great halfback line, Coleman, Jones, Edwards, Coleman, Blanchflower, Edwards. You know, the whole team, they played as a team. That was the great thing. Although they had these great individuals, uh, they they played as a team, and 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 they and they they would attack you, and 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 they would do it at pace. They they would they would do it without fear. They feared nobody, nobody at all, and that was the great thing about them. But not only was it the first team, the reserve team were very much the same. And when they won their title in 1956, the same year as as the um, as the first team won it, I mean they played for 42 games. They they they. They, uh, they, I think they won 38, they drew two and, 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 and they lost two or something. But they scored an, an enormous amount of goals, 120-odd goals in the season. And, and you had these two teams. The reserve team games back then you used to get 10,000 watching them. And, mm. and also then you had the youth team coming through. So you had all this youthful vibrancy with, throughout the club. And it rubbed off in the community. That was mm. the great thing as well. But the style of play, I mean... If you ever look back at records now from sort of 55 through to 58 and look at every club's away record there of attendances, and you'll find that 99% of the time it was against Manchester United because not only United fans wanted to see them, the opposition fans wanted to see them. You know, and, 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 and that, that was the impact that they had, not only on Manchester, but on, on England. Yeah. Yeah, and we've spoken about the uh, obviously the the young English lads that lost their lives and the impact that had on the national team. Roy, I wanted I wanted to come over and address that question to you, and I didn't know if you wanted to say anything about the style of play off the back of Tom there, because obviously we all know the chant playing the Sir Matt Busby way. What does that mean for you? No, well, Tom obviously articulated it excellently. What was very interesting was that effectively, when you think back, Tom, they played three men at the back. You had two full-backs and your yeah. centre-half, who would be the... Yeah. It was Billy Fox and Roger Burnett for that. But you had either Matt Jones for half a season, seemingly, and Jackie Blanchard for the other half of the season. And they were the, the three at the back. And up front, you had the two wingers, Johnny Berry, who, who deserves amazing credit. What a lovely, tricky, old-fashioned winger. Never left his line, really. David Pegg, oh, blimey. And, of course, we had Albert in Albert Scanlon in reserve, and Kenny Morgans came through. And then number nine, of course, the man himself, smiling executioner. Tommy Taylor. So you have three at the back, three up front, but those four, as Tom said, the inside forwards and the wing guards, Coleman, Edwards, Whelan and Taylor and Violet, up, down, like a traction engine, really. Up. Oh, we slightly yeah. lost you there, Roy, I think. Tom, do you want to jump in quickly whilst we've 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 lost Roy there off the back of what he was what he was saying how, how the engine room how they had so much energy getting up and down the pitch? Yeah. Well, well, that that, that was it. Uh, as Samat used to tell them, up together, back together. But but the impetus those two halfbacks and those two inside forwards had uh, was absolutely amazing. I mean, you had Billy Whelan. Dennis Pilot, two of the most gifted. Uh, in, they they would be termed midfielders today, uh, and and and. Mm. 
and they were prolific. You had the tandem of Coleman and Edwards, the power and the uh, and the energy of Edwards, and the guile of little Eddie Coleman. Um, they they could destroy defenses. They 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 were absolute. Their vision, their, their abilities, their confidence, um, and it, it it really was amazing. And and Roy went on there about Johnny Berry. If Johnny Berry was playing today, he would be like Ronaldo. He would be a cult figure. He, without doubt for me, he was the quickest winger I ever saw. Two great feet, and he would attack the the, the, the fullback. And, and no matter if he got kicked or anything like that, he had a big heart. He was only five foot five, uh, took size six boots, but it, 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 he had that heart of a lion. And of course, you had these these lads in tandem, and, and, and spearheading was Taylor. And, you know, the, the service he got from those wings. Um, the, the number of golds that were laid on a plate for him by Scanlon and Pegg, Berry and Morgans, uh, and the finest header of a ball I've ever seen. I mean, he used to terrorise defences, terrorise defences. And, and like you, you were saying a few minutes ago about the England team, I mean, for he, he, he played in a game against Brazil in late 1956, and he absolutely terrorised them. He, he scored twice in that game and uh, the, the, the Brazilians just couldn't handle him at all. And uh, he scored, as I say, he scored twice. England missed two penalties. And, and of course, you know, Brazil went on just 18 months later to win the World Cup. So, but they were such a great, great team to watch. So, you know, their, their style of play. Um, and, and yeah, we did lose games. You know, we we went twenty six games uh, one season without being beaten, and and then we played a European Cup game. I, I think it might have been the the Bildeo game, um, and they played Everton the following Saturday at Old Trafford, and everybody thought, you know, oh, well, you know, this is a walkover, but we lost five two at home. You know, so it can happen. Teams can lose yeah, football matches, can't they? Exactly, Shock horror. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and. Uh, for me, one of the greatest things was it was the derby games against City because when I first started to go and watch the uh, the first team, City were in the ascendancy then and, and they put it to as good and strong. I mean, the first three or four derby games I saw, we lost 3-2, 1-0, 5-0 at Old Trafford and 2-0 in the FA Cup. But come 1955-56, the tables turned and I don't think we lost another derby then until about 1962, you know. Wow. You know, they, they, but they, they were just such a delight, Ben, to, to to see, to to watch, and they they were strong. They were streetwise as well. You know, uh, they, they, they were no mugs, uh, and they learned quickly. And of course, going into Europe, then I mean that just ignited the uh, the imagination of the whole country. And that first yeah. game, that first game, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, just like last week when we won nine nil. It takes some doing that at professional level. And in that first European game, United won 10 nil at, 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 uh, at Main Road against Anderlecht. And people say, oh, yeah, well, it, it was only a Belgian side. That Belgian team had nine internationals in it. Mm -hmm. You know, people forget that sort of thing. And, and, and again, a, a, a magical night watching that happen. Yeah, and, 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 I definitely want to come back and remember yeah. some of those okay. nights, Tom, if that's yeah. okay with you, and also yeah. individual players. But um, yeah. Patrick, you just quickly wanted to—I uh, saw you—you uh, you put your hand up and yeah, you wanted to make a point. It, it, it was sort of just you know, Tom was talking about about Johnny Berry, and it and it just popped popped into my head because uh, and, and we and we're looking about the babes and how how they've sort of 
they've transcended through the decades and here we are now and a chap called um Srivinas Rao from Bangalore I think he's from in India um he wrote and said how come Johnny Berry is never mentioned in the flowers of Manchester don't you think yeah the, the forgotten babe yeah so myself and Pete Marty because I, I I lead the singing down in Manchester Platz, Pete Martin at Old Trafford, and Mike Thomas from Munich 58, who's also in the MMMF. Um, we put our heads together, came up with a, a slight tweak to the lyrics, got them agreed with the publishers. So from, from here on in, instead of saying, and Ireland's brave Jack Blanchflower will never play again, it's Johnny Berry and Jack Blanchflower will never play yeah. again. And that, that's important. He, 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 you know, he should never have been forgotten. But at the time the song was written, Johnny Berry, it wasn't known if his career was over or not. So it's taken, you know, a, a, a chap, a United fan, he was absolutely hardcore, mad United, 60-odd uh, years later to write in and say, hey, can you do something about this? And I, I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and you'll have noticed on Saturday when Pete Martin was singing uh, in, in, the, in the recording, and I was certainly going to be singing live in Manchester Platz, those new lyrics, and there was a slight tweak, because it used to say, Duncan Edwards, he went to with an injury to his brain, yeah. which, which is wrong. That's yeah. been changed to frame because yeah. of the, the, the injuries are sustained. But mm -hmm. isn't, that, isn't that sort of tangible proof that they live with us right through our lives and here we are 63 years later and johnny berry is finally getting some deserved due recognition as a result of a guy writing from bangalore to, That's to amazing. like me and mike thomas and pete martin and saying can you do something about this so yeah. I, I, it just it just made me think yeah when you were talking about johnny berry and how brilliant he was as a winger um it's it's nice that we can finally include that recognition officially in the flowers. Yeah, I do. I do want to come back, Patrick. I was going to ask you a question about um about a couple of individual players, but I just want to quickly bring Roy back in. Roy, you're right, mate. Sorry, we lost you there when you was halfway through saying what you were. So Tom, like the double act, you two should be managed to jump in and uh, and save your bacon there. Uh, do you want to, do you want to continue you want to what you're saying? Tom though, was in America, would you? Tom was in America. <laughs> I'm in Manchester getting cut off. BT for you there with their new <laughs> halo system. Yeah, Roy is definitely not sponsored by BT at this rate. Uh, Roy, no, do you want to? Uh, do, do, do you remember yeah, where well, you're well, up to? Do you want to continue? Yeah, I, I, obviously, if, if you've covered this, just stop me. But I, I remember going to the um, on the first of February. I went to the reserve match against Wolves. Yeah. Uh, while United were at Arsenal that day. There was night, like Tom said, big crowd. There was nineteen thousand on a cold, miserable, foggy day, and the reserve team was Wood in goal because Ali Gregg had replaced him. Ian Greaves at right back. It was a very good right back. Jeff Bent, God rest his soul, played his last game at left back. Freddie Goodwin, excellent right half. Jackie Blanchlar, who would never play again through his injuries at centre half. A man who became a friend of mine and only played once for the senior team, Harold Bratt, who was only yeah. 17 at the time, played at left arm. Uh, Johnny Berry, who you've just been talking about, never played again after this game, outside right. Billy Whelan, inside right. Alec Dawson, the Black Prince, uh, centre-forward. Colin Webster, a run-bugger, but he scored 30-odd goals in 70-odd games for United at inside left. 
and David Peck on the left wing. And that was a reserve side on the 1st of February. And as Tom said, if anyone had an injury, you didn't move five different players around. You just went number seven, number seven, number four, number four. Straight swap. The whole club played the same type of football. Uh, and I feel really honoured and um, sad in, a, in the same breath to know that I'd been at the Ipswich Town game the Saturday yeah, before that, yeah. which was the last time that uh, Roger, Eddie, Mark, uh, Duncan and Tommy played. Um, and then on the 1st of February, uh, the, the other five, the other three who passed away and two never played again. Um, do, you know, so do you know what, Roy? Off the back of that, I also want to commend your memory. Because I can't even remember what bin I put out last Friday to know what one I'm going to be putting out this Friday. And you've just named a whole reserve team side from when? 58. 58. 58. 58. Ben, can, I, can I tell you something, Ben? Yeah, yeah. The last fundraising dinner we had, Mr. Clare came over uh, as, as, as a guest, a personal guest. Um, but it was, it was a, he was coming, then he couldn't come, and then finally he could come. And he said to me, Pat, can, 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 can I speak? And I went, oh, I've, I've got all my speakers lined. He said, just five minutes, Pat, just five minutes. <laughs> I went, right, okay, yeah, yeah, no props, Tom. So I'm on to Alan Keegan. Alan, I've got a slight tweak in the agenda. Uh, Tom Clare's going to say a few words. Now, let me tell you, this man had a room full of people enthralled for 45 minutes. Now, that included Paddy Crerin, Lou McCarty, Arthur Albiston, family members of the Babes, and die-hard Reds, um, who've been going for decades and decades, sat in tears listening to this man and his ability, like Roy, to recall things. And, and I'm like you, I, 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 I just cannot remember half the stuff that I should be able to. And that's why I like to read and refresh my memory. And um, I said before, Tom sent me the smile and execution. What a read. If any of your... Your, your viewers watch this. What a read that is. But um, my son, who's only 18... No, you know, he's 20 now. So he's 20. He was 18 in a chat I did a couple of weeks ago. But he's 20 now. Um, he sent me this brilliant Christmas present. And it's a book. And it gave me an insight into a part of club life, which I, I, if I knew, I'd forgotten. But I don't think I ever knew. And it was... And it was prompted by something Roy Cavana said on one of our shows. Um, and it's called uh, Meredith to Best, Man of Football, Harold Hardman. And I can't remember the name of the two guys who wrote it. Oh, well, no, there's one of them. Roy <laughs> he, he, wrote it. he wrote it with Carl And it talks about, it talks about the whole... Uh, journey of and Tom touched on on Mr Gibson the chairman uh, pre-war but from a from a club chairman board directors there it is directors point of view yeah and, terrific Roy and, and we have this oh like Tom Tom said yeah you, 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 it was it was Busby yeah he he, he brought it through but it was it was a, a seed I didn't know about it it was a seed that was that was already being grown and cultivated by Gibson. But what a fantastic read to give her the insight into. And you think, well, why did the club do that? What, what, you know, why, why did they behave like that? And then, you, and then you see the other side of the coin and realise that things like, you know, post-war, lack of insurance, uh, having to beg, steal and borrow, 
you know, players' wages and minimum wage and all that kind of stuff. And it, it gives you a really fascinating insight to football at the time and the way football was run at the time. And, and people like Hardman and Gibson, we've got such a lot to thank them for as well. You know, I, I'm always eulogising about Busby and Jimmy Murphy and people. But and it was it was Roy who prompted me. You know, you forget part about Harold Hardman in, in the background, yeah. doing a lot of things. And Stanley Rouse at the FA. Okay, Hardacre was an absolute piece of. But you know, Stanley Rouse at, 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 at the FA was was equally on board with what Manchester United were trying to do and what Busby was trying to do in Europe as pioneers. The, the absolute antithesis of what Hardacre was trying to do in terms of of stopping them. Or so it so it seems to be. So that's my little current. Do, do you know what? You're right because Roy sent me over some notes before we went live today, and one of the things that I wanted to bring up was that meeting on that Friday, and 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 mm-hmm. what the board done afterwards, and and so yes. to speak, um, the the legacy, and 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 obviously because because let's not forget that there were Manchester United board members also lost um in in the, the tragic accident that was. I was going to well, ask well, well, about the board member. There was Willie he's Jackson a fight. He, he was like he was being lined up, but uh, George Whitaker had just passed away, and that's why the directors never went to. Uh, to, to I still, I still maintain that Willie Satanoff went there as a representative of the board. I, I, I do, and, and 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 I talked with Harry Gregg, God bless him, about this when I was sat yes. with him, and Harry agreed with me over it. He said, he said, you're so right, because George had died, as we know, on that Friday evening, Saturday morning in London, and the funeral was on the same day as the game in Belgrade, and the directors went to the funeral, yep. and Willie Willie went as 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 in my opinion, and I'm ninety nine point nine percent certain as a member of the board. And the reason I say that is because that aircraft was a private charter. It was the first, it was uh, the very first one that United had ever ever done. And um, and you couldn't buy a ticket. I mean, so this is another thing that actually gets under my skin. So many people turn around and say, I should have been on that plane. You know, I would have been on that plane. It's not true. It's not true. That, that plane was chartered. <laughs> For the sole use of Manchester United, and and you couldn't buy a ticket on it, and and of course there was a question of visas and that sort of thing back then, and and Willie again is another forgotten man, you know he, he you know he's always put down as a fan, uh, he was much more than a fan, much yeah, more. He was Tom, he was Tom, waiting, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. Tom, the other man, Walter Crickmar. I mean, exactly. a, oh yeah. my goodness, I mean, Walter Crickmar, Ben. Yeah. And, and, and the listeners, Secretary. back into the early 20s, come as a young clerk into the, the Cornbrook offices. Mm. At times, he finished up being uh, assistant manager, uh, sorry, as a standing manager. He was a club secretary. Uh, and you don't forget, you know, bigger crowds uh, than, than what he was used to in the in the 20s and 30s yeah. even. And, and, you know, to lose him as well. That board meeting, when I looked at it, um, Tom made the point there. Uh, poor George Whitaker had died on the on the uh, Saturday morning. He was eighty odd. Harold Ardman then in 1958 was about 70, 76, something like that. Um, it was Gibson's son uh, who'd hurt his yeah. leg. And they, they had the, the, the meeting at, at his house. The inv- and they invited uh, Louis Edwards, of course, that day. Mm-hmm. And I know Louis Edwards and Louis Edwards' family took a lot of stick, but when you look at it. 
there was a period there for about five, seven years where he did put real money in, which made a difference to the club. But fancy being at that board meeting. I've chaired loads of meetings. Fancy being there in a meeting like that. You've got 15 players of your playing staff. Well, Duncan hadn't died then, but eight eventually died. Two never going to play again. Five mm. still in hospital. So that's 15 of the 22 players that had played the previous Saturday. 15 were out of action. You weren't insured. Um, you know, you've just lost Walter Crickmatt, who's running the club for you, off the pitch. Bert Wally and Tom Curry. Bert Wally. Uh, and, of course, Tommy Curry. Tom Curry, the, the Tommy mm. Taylor and Jackie Blanchard particularly, they absolutely loved him. They played tricks on him, but they loved him. You know, you, you've lost an absolute... You've lost a whole lot. Not much. Yeah. What Jimmy did off the field... Uh, sorry, on the field, which, you know, obviously deserves every single bit of recommendation, a genius... You know, in fairness, your admins and, and, and I suppose Louis Edwards as well. It must have been an intolerable thing, Tom, wasn't it? Obviously. Oh, people don't realise, Roy, do they? You know, the pressures that Jimmy was under. I mean, not only was he having to deal with keeping the club going, but he was having to go to funerals, you funerals. know. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he had everything All else that week to actually run the club virtually on his, on his yeah. own. But Joe Armstrong... Again, another yeah. forgotten hero. Yeah. Joe Joe was his right-hand man. He did a lot of the legwork for him, you know, and, and Joe should never be forgotten. But the work yeah. that Jimmy Murphy did, uh, I mean, it, it, it's sad that he's never had the recognition that he, he, ah. he deserves. But but Jimmy, Jimmy, without Jimmy, there's no doubt Samat couldn't could never have achieved what he did. Jim, Samat was, was the draftsman. He was the man who put the plan together. Jimmy was the engineer, the nuts and bolts man, who was there sort of seven days a week at Old Trafford, you know, he, and, and, and the cliff, down at the cliff every night, you know, with the youngsters and everything. And, 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 and Jimmy, Jimmy was such an integral part of that club. And, yeah. and the work Jimmy did has, has never really, you know, been recognised. And, and that's the crying shame of it all. Can, I, can, can we come back to Jimmy Murphy? Because I yeah, want to yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. three players particularly. And, and yeah, although yeah. I'd love to talk about them all, but I want to come back. I want to talk to Pat about Jimmy. Tom, I want to talk to Oof. you about Harry, Harry Gregg. And, and Roy, I want to talk to you about, about Duncan Edwards in a minute. But I do just want to go back to the meeting. And Pat, you're completely right. Sorry. Um, of course, you know, of course... Um, Walter wasn't a board member, but a club secretary, secretary for me, a bit like Roy said there, uh, oh, yeah. pieces a lot of a club together. And, mm -hmm. and I think that when it comes to stature as a staff member, you know, the club secretary is almost as close to, to the board as the board members are to each other. Um, so, yeah, just just to rethink what sort of what I was saying. Um, but I think you guys have, have, so to speak, put out to bed and described it, Walter's role and what he did really well. But, Roy, let me just quickly come back to you. That that meeting, I know you mentioned a little bit about it, but but what what do you know, obviously, uh, about what happened with, within that meeting, the, the emotions? And, and how did the club and, and, and the staff that, that, that obviously remained and, and had to pick the club up, how did they go about doing so? Well, as far as I'm aware, at the meeting, it was um, it was actually in Gib Alan Gibson's house, um, the son of uh, J.W. Gibson, uh, because he hurt his ankle, so that the meeting was convened there, uh, over in Bolden Hale Way. Uh, obviously, Errol Hardman was there, uh, who'd been um, to the, the funeral of George Whittaker the day before. Um, Les Olive was, uh, was brought to the meeting because he was Walter Crittman's assistant. You know, uh, and, and Les Olive, of course, had played for United in goal and then joined the backroom staff. Um, and Louis Edwards was uh, co-opted onto the board 
and I, I agree with Tom. I think it's a hundred percent certain that Willie Satanoff was in Belgrade as the Manchester United director representing the club. Yeah. It was likely to be him or Edwards, and it was Willie Satanoff who went. So there was only four of them at, at the meeting, five at the most, and you know they were faced with this loss of fifteen players, effectively not insured. Um, and they had fixtures to fulfil. Uh, and obviously the loss of Kritmar at that point was absolutely devastating. So Les Olly deserves a massive amount of credit how he will have stood up to them. Roy, going back to what you said there, um, it, it wasn't only the first team fixtures and reserve team fixtures that they had to fulfil. You had the A, B and junior teams as well. Yeah. yeah, they have to fulfil their fixtures, yeah. don't they? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I mean, there was talk that, you know, seriously, would they, would they have taken a drop down the league because they couldn't fulfil it? But I think Gardman was, was particularly strong that, no, we're going to fill the fixtures. If we get beat seven on every game, we're going to play these games and, we, you know, we're going we're gonna to feature. Uh, and obviously was was the right decision, but it could not have been done without um, Jimmy Murphy at no. all. And in saying that, you know, Hardman, uh, Gibson, uh, Les Olive, uh, Louis Edwards, th they deserve credit as well for holding the logistic power. Just throw one last thing in on, on that, and I'll, I'll, I'll move away on it. But the, the interesting thing was Sir Stanley Rouse of the FA, um, he really liked Busby. And mm. back in 56, when we went to be kicked out of the European Cup before we got in it, he made the statement to Alan Ardaker, who was a right pain. I mean, I mean, a nasty yeah. piece of work, really nasty. And he said, look, your jurisdiction is the Football League. And in those days, the Football League was Saturday. That's yeah. when the game was, as Tom mentioned before, three o'clock on Saturday. That's your jurisdiction. Manchester United want to do something on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Friday. That's not your jurisdiction. They can do yeah. it, except... They have to be back to mm. play games at three o'clock on a Saturday. Now, you make your own judgments on that about what it was like in a very snowy Bavarian runway uh, at three o'clock on the Thursday afternoon. And, you know, we're going to be snowed in for, for 20. As, as it happened, they would have been able to fly out on Friday because yeah. obviously the Jimmy Murphy and all the players' wives had flown in on that Friday. But they didn't know that at three o'clock on the on the Friday afternoon. And if they hadn't come back and the Wolverhampton Wanderers, sixty three thousand on the Saturday, our last chance of winning the title, Wolves were four or five points in front. You know, you need to know the history of that before yeah. any comments are made. Really. Fantastic, Roy. Thank you so much for that. I've never heard that story before. I've never heard information around what happened during that meeting. So thank you so much for, for sharing what you knew. That was uh, sort of brought it all back to life there for a moment. I say that this happens a lot on, on the show, that moments get brought to life by stuff that you guys say. And, and really then I was sat here just thinking about what happened in that house? Like sort of what, what were they saying? Where, you know, who were they calling to try and come up with contingency plans? Like the clubs obviously got involved and, and helped as well. It's just a moment that you will, I don't think anyone will ever understand. Even if you made a movie from it, I don't think anyone would ever understand how they managed to, to do it, but, but we will never die. And, uh, and we didn't, and that statement isn't any more true to what happened yeah. during that meeting and, and afterwards. The, the, the sadness was as well, Ben, is that there were certain clubs in London 
yeah. who within days of that tragedy tried to entice Jimmy Murphy away from Old Trafford. Arsenal, yeah, yeah, and that that was a great <laughs> sadness. And and I, I do have to say as well, the first club actually to come in with an offer of help with 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 players was, was Liverpool. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you know Real they they Liverpool. you know they they often and then of course we got the bishops. They gave us yeah. Lewin, Hardesty, and Warren Bradley. Uh, which helped it helped with the the reserve team enormously, and Warren went had, had to have a de- decent career. Mm. Uh, but trying, you can just imagine, as as we say, uh, you know, like Roy was uh, reiterating, trying to put five teams out the following week after that disaster. Five teams: first team, second team, A team, and junior the, team. Uh, so, the, the, the the administration, the transfer yeah. wheeling and dealing. Yeah. Discussions that took place are so well articulated in that Harold Hardman book by by Carl and Roy. It's it's absolutely fascinating, Ben. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for lads who want to go back and look at how the club was run at the time, and and the, at this key point when we're in utter disarray and broken, mm-hmm. all the things that are taking place in the background to mm-hmm. to, to get players to to get to funerals. To, a, to show to show respects to to get players into to, to think about fixtures um it, it was it was it was a remarkable achievement uh, given it was and, and you, you've also got to, you've also got to look you know I mean just 10 days after the after after the accident or so you've got two men there who, who went through the horror of it mm-hmm. actually played in in FA Cup fifth round tie you know I mean I mean yeah. when you look at that I mean we said it's mind blowing. On, on the yeah. show, we said that, didn't we? How, how what a man, what a man mm-hmm. to, to do well, what he did, go through that and come back and play in 15 days. Well, we've heard yeah. some names, we've heard some names mentioned, one of which is Jimmy Murphy, one of which, yeah, obviously, Harry Gregg, and, and what a man. And you know, our, our thoughts still go out to his family, his friends, and those close to him. It's an absolutely tragic loss last year. And of course, you can go back and listen to our special show on Harry Grip. But mm-hmm. but I do want to just pick out three players uh, just to quickly have a chat about now. I, I What I do want to caveat this with is that if you've watched the start of the show, Roy, Tom, Patrick have spoken about how this team were a team. It's not about picking out individuals. They all play together. And although there was star quality in there and, and names that potentially do get spoken about and some unforgot, uh, some unforgotten, uh, some forgotten heroes, sorry, from the Busby babes, um, they were very much a team. But but I do just want to hit on a couple of players. Um, before I do, let me just quickly go over to the live chat because people have been chatting whilst we've been talking. Oh. I just want to say hello to Barry. Hello to Jacob. Hello to Alan Tung, who's been on as well. John Gubber, Man United, the oh, religion, have oh, done yeah. some fantastic work. Um They've been in the comments. Uh, Therese has been in as well. We've had loads of tweets as well. Thank you if you've been tweeting. And uh, Larry, who's Cantonar Collars, who you guys might have seen on Twitter, says that he is a massive fan of Rory, Pat and Tom, uh, and and just wanted to to wish you all well and a happy new year. So thank you for that, Larry. Um, I want to just... BT haven't been on yet. No, BT haven't been on yet. No, no. The sponsorship (laughs) deal hasn't happened yet, mate. Um, I I want to just hit on individual players with each of you, and then I want to go back to to an outstanding memory from the Babes just to end the show. We've got about 10 minutes, so I know that it's so tough to keep (laughs) things brief, but let's try and be as brief as we can on this. Um, Tom, I I don't know where to start when I say the name Harry Gregg, but for anyone Uh, out there who doesn't know about his heroics, and we've mentioned one of them there, the fact that he came back and played so quickly after after the the tragic accident that was. Um, 
just give us a brief overview of why Harry Gregg is a name enriched in our history. Well, it, it's, 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 it's because, I mean, he was signed because of his ability. Um, you know, he came from Doncaster Rovers in December 1957. Uh, Ray Wood had, had, had suffered a bit of a loss of confidence and, and, and Busby decided to shake the team up. Um, uh, and, and he paid 23500 a world record fee for a goalkeeper. And Harry came... And there was, without doubt, this man was was much different. He 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 was uh, an absolutely outstanding goalkeeper. He took a bit of stick at first. Uh, I mean, he used to wander about outside the the, the penalty area, and you know, uh, people used to say, "Oh, the man's a madman and everything." But his ability as a goalkeeper was second to none. But then, of course, sadly, he only I think he only played eleven or twelve games with 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 the babes. But that day in, uh, in in Munich, to do what he did, uh, it's it's beyond you know comprehension that, that with everything that was going around, the carnage that was going around, that that was happening there, to go back into that aircraft uh, and and to pull people out, and also to see to people that were lying there in the snow, badly injured. You know, I mean, I talked to Harry. God bless his heart and soul, uh, in December uh, 2019 when I went over and I spent two sessions talking with him. And to sit and listen to Harry's version of, of events of, of, of that sad afternoon, it, it was heartbreaking. And we both sat there in tears for a while. Uh, he he was read through and through, without doubt, Um and and the ethos of the club it, it was imprinted on him. We, and and he he was just a role model without without doubt. And with Harry, what you saw is what you got. I mean, Harry mm -hmm. didn't suffer fools, um, but he, he he was such a, a solid club man. And 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 it was just sad that during his career at Old Trafford, apart from the uh, the losers' medal in in 1958, he never you know he never won any 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 other uh, medal at all. But but his his appearances and his performances, and and again as a goalkeeper, my idol before Harry arrived was Bert Troutman at that Manchester City. Uh, but between the two of them, the techniques and everything, they they changed it actually the roles of, of, of goalkeeping. Uh, at, at that time, you know, I mean, at one time, a goalkeeper would get the ball and he'd just hoof it upfield. Those two didn't, you know, they were quick to get the ball out wide. They, they, they'd throw it, you know, they, they wouldn't waste possession of the ball. But Harry is a man. Uh, that's the memory I have, in, I have of him. Harry is a man, as a human being. And, and, and the man suffered so much tragedy in his life as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Personal tragedy, you know. Uh, uh, and to go through what he did... And and lead the, 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 the his life the way that he did. That that's the the great impression I got, and that's the memory I'll always take of Harry. Is Harry Gregg the human being, not the footballer? Harry Gregg the human being. Fantastically put, Tom. And of course, two things off the back of what you've just said there, Tom. If you want to learn more about Harry Gregg and you're interested uh, in just some of the bits that Tom said there, but in more detail, make sure you go and watch our special on Harry, which had the blessing of his family. But also, please, if right now you're looking to support a charity that's doing some fantastic work, please go and check out the Harry Gregg Foundation um, and please show your support. And even if you just go find out more information and share the links of, of, of the foundation, 
we would massively appreciate that. Um, Patrick, I'm going to come over to you and talk about Jimmy Murphy in just a second, because uh, I know the, you guys are doing some work in getting him the recognition he deserves. But first of all, Roy, uh, it's that question, isn't it, that we all ask when we talk about Duncan Edwards. Um, could Duncan have been the greatest football player ever? Well, some will argue, uh, quite right, rightly, that on that game in Belgrade, at that time <laughs> in his life, there was only probably Di Stefano who was uh, could say was a better player in the world then. Um, so, yes, he, he most definitely could, and very quickly, and probably uh -huh. winning the World Cup for England in Sweden in 1958. Um because you think where Wales and uh, Northern Ireland got to in that competition and did brilliantly to the quarterfinals, England with Roger, and Tommy and uh, and Duncan and possibly Eddie Coleman pushing, uh, possibly Violet uh, as well on the squad. Um, if, if the selectors had just got the, the act together properly, uh, Duncan Edwards then on the uh, 6th of February, uh, sorry, the 5th of February, 1958, in my opinion, there was only Di Stefano could be credited in the whole world as a better player. And Edwards was the complete player. The biggest thing I can tell you about Edwards, from my memory, is that that team still to this day, and, and I know Harry replaced him, but Ray was my hero in goal. Billy Foltz, cowboy we used to call him in the paddock because he had bandy legs. Rock solid at right back. Roger Byrne, one of the greatest left backs the world's ever seen, never mind England. And, and captain, centre little Eddie at number four, swivel lips, brilliant, world in front of him. Number five, whether it was Big Matt, bang bang bang, or it was Jackie Blanchard on the floor, push and pay. Johnny Berry at seven, magnificent winger. Billy Whelan, Tommy Taylor, Dennis Fire, as Tom said, one of the great inside forward trios, and David Peg on the left wing. And the best player in that team was Duncan Edwards at that age of twenty-one. You know, every one of those players I've just told you was artist and an absolute top, top baller. So for him to be the best of that 11, but don't forget the other 10, we had a great, great side. Yes, and and of course, let's not also forget the greatest footballer that Sir Bobby openly says that he has ever seen as well. And and I'm sure other professionals around the same time have also echoed those sentiments. Roy, fantastic put. And of course, again, if you want to go and find out more and, and, and in more depth about some of the some of the stuff that Roy was saying there, there's a number of fantastic books out there. But also, uh, of course, uh, we did a special with, with Roy, Patrick, and we also had Rose, who's the founder of the Duncan Edwards Foundation Museum. By the way, hi, Rose, if you're watching. I hope you're keeping safe and well. Um, she was on chatting about Duncan Edwards and, and the impact he's still having now on his local yeah. community is quite outstanding. Yeah. Go on, Roy. And can, I just, can I just ask Tom, if it, Tom, DM me your address or get Amazon in America to send you a copy of the Arden book. Oh, I'd love it, Roy. Thank you very, very much. Yeah. Some, yeah. some freebies being dished out here as well. And if anyone well, else wants to know, don't, don't. GDPR, we can't do that. You know, the, the other side, oh, I'd, I'd like to know. He's got I forgot you, Ben. Sorry, I saw you. Ben, <laughs> if, I, if, I, if, if I just may say something about Harold Hardman, uh, I would like to give a plug to the uh, to uh, a group of people called the Manchester yeah. United uh, Graves Society. And we we... Some years ago, we, we found out Harold's resting place uh, in Brooklyn Cemetery, uh, it, it just close by sale some years ago, and it was in complete, absolute disarray. It was awful. Mm -hmm. 
And without going to the press, the club will, will not get involved. But a group of United fans, we got together. We found out what the cost of the work would be due to uh, to bring the, 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 the resting place up to date. And a lovely, wonderful guy called Paul Farrell did the work. But we raised the money for it within 24 hours. Amazing. And it came wow. from all over the world. And it shows you just what the Manchester United family are. And yeah. now the Grave Society, they, they reach out to any you know United player where they're resting. And we attempt you know, to make sure that those those resting places are looked after. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that, Tom. And thank you for bringing, uh, for raising awareness as well of, of what those guys are doing. The United family truly is special. Uh, Patrick, let me come over to you. Jimmy Murphy, uh, could you give us a little bit of an insight into the impact that man had on our club? Because it is truly remarkable. But also, give us an update uh, towards the end, if you can do, on where you guys are at at the Manchester Munich Memorial Foundation on getting Jimmy Murphy that recognition he deserves, Patrick. Sure. Well, we've we touched on it in this show that, that he was, he was uh, Samat Busby's right-hand man and, you know, sort of a, a, a more up-to-date comparison might be Clough and, and Taylor. He, he, was, he was super important. He was so important. He was Matt Busby's first signing. You know, they, they met in the army and he, and he brought Jimmy Murphy into Manchester United. And like you were saying, Ben, about the, the podcast we did on Harry and Duncan, we've done one on Jimmy as well, an in-depth one, which included uh, Paul Murphy, his grandson, who's also in the MMMF. Um, so he, he was the father, he was like Matt, he, he was the father figure. He, he loved those boys and he was a great tactician, great motivator. He, he adored those lads. Um, and, and as we were talking before about, you know, the, the time when the board were, were, were ruining over how they could keep things going. You know, I've always been led to believe, and I've got no reason to doubt this, that it was Jimmy Murphy who said, we are not giving up, we are carrying on, I will carry the flag. And, and, and came back with Billy Fawkes and Harry Gregg and started to put together a team to start to fulfil our fixtures and, and held the baton for the rest of that 58 season. Indeed, he was, uh, was honoured to walk out the cup final team in 1958. And he stayed incredibly loyal to Manchester United. You know, he, he got job offers from all over. Brazil wanted him to be their national manager. He was, he was a fabulous, fabulous um, role model, coach, man manager. Uh, and I, I was thinking earlier about... You know, when everything he went through in, in, in the immediate aftermath of Munich, and, and, and Tom will know this, and I certainly know this because Harry told us about how Jimmy's heart was absolutely broken in Munich. To come back and start to do all that work and then to find out that the boy that he loved like a son had died, that, that's incredible. These, these are remarkable men. They are remarkable men. Um, and you can include Busby and Billy Fawkes and Bobby Charlton, but most importantly, Harry Gregg and Jimmy Murphy, because without them, we would not have had the continuation of Manchester United. I think, I think Harry can be um, quoted as saying, when we left that, um, that hangar at, uh, at Reem Airport, mm. at Tudoring Reem Airport, we were a football mm. team. 
then we became an institution and we did mm-hmm. and 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 it's because of the great efforts of particularly those two men well those four men Falk, Falks and Charlton as well and Busby and Murphy and Greg that's why that's why we continued that's why we rose from the ashes and that's why within 10 years the Holy Grail was found um and I was touching on earlier once about um the running of the club but you know the, the the way the club acted as an institution after Munich and how it got itself back on its feet to get us again on the road to, to European glory is, is a fascinating insight. So when it comes to the campaign, I mean, you, you said it was, yeah, we're, we're one of six organisations. Yes, I put, I put the concept and the idea together of uh, approaching five chairmen from other organisations and, and, and presenting a unified lobby to Manchester United because I didn't think, and I've seen examples of singular organisations, even on this particular topic, not being successful. So I thought we had a far better chance united than divided. Um, and Manchester United, to all credit to them, you know, they, 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 they've listened to us. They accept what we say. You know, they, they do not argue the importance of, of the greatness of this servant of our football club to why we are like we are. So much so that Edward would wrote to me and said, right, I'm setting up a legacy and heritage committee. Um, it will have players on. It will have former players on. It will have club directors on. It will have fans on. We don't know where they're going to come from yet. But it might also have family members of, of former players on as well, which would be fantastic. Um, and they've got a job to do. They've got to work out how do you, how do you work out all the components of you know, um, the, the history, the legacy, the value a person brought to the club, what the club was like when they came, what the club was like when they left, what their contribution was over how many years, etc., etc. And how does that then, that, that, that matrix, that formula, how does that translate to a form of recognition? And, and I, I, I have a very strong belief that there isn't anybody um, who deserves recognition in the confines of the stadium of our football club of Old mm-hmm. Our our it's our spiritual home. We've got Sir Alex, we've got Sir Matt, we've got the Holy Trinity. There are missing pieces there. The biggest is Jimmy Murphy. That must be addressed. Now the, the very latest is that I've got a meeting coming up. We commence in the twenty second, myself and the other five chairmen and Paul Murphy will be with us as well, representing the family, um, where the club will be articulating the timeline for this committee. Um, it, it's, it's been hampered and prejudiced by COVID and, 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 and business. Um, but when are they going to start convening and how are they going to work out? Now, they have promised us that one of the priority areas will be the, the application that I've made on behalf of those six organisations to get recognition, some form of recognition for this yeah. great man. So that people, when they visit Old Trafford, they can walk around and, and, and granddads and dads can be with the children or grandmas and, and mums. And they can go to a statue and say, who's he, dad? Who's, who's he, granddad? Well, that's Jimmy Murphy's son. He, he kept us together in our darkest days and helped us rise. That's what it's about. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll finish up by saying, um, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to uh, prejudice anything. I don't think, but Harry Gregg must be, must be considered in the same vein as well, uh, because they are, as I've said, two of the 
the strongest pillars that we had. And anybody else who gets recognition, absolutely. People have got heroes, modern-day heroes, Cristiano, Eric, Giggsy, Kino, Robbo, all these people, yeah? But you cannot, in my opinion, look at these people until you've set the bar where you're going to set it for Jimmy Murphy because there can't be any higher form of recognition, in my opinion. And they will follow on. Yeah. Well, best of luck, Pat, and, and please do keep us updated if there's anything Ooh, we, we can do. We continue flying the flag to help educate the future generations of United fans and make sure that this is and these type of shows are on the internet forever. Obviously, guys, if you're watching this, make sure you share the video, like it as well. Let's get it far and wide. And also uh, make sure that if you want to listen to this in audio format or share the podcast with someone, just search All for United, United Daily uh, on your podcast platform of choice and you can get this in audio format. And of course, subscribe to All for United as uh, we've got a couple of shows in the pipeline uh, with Pat, Tom, Roy and, and you know, and, and, and other historians and authors to help spread the word and to help paint the picture of United past and how that impacted on our present. Um, guys, before we go, because we have been been recording now for nearly an hour and 10 minutes, just very, very briefly, because I don't want to hold you guys up too much longer. And obviously there still are quite a few people watching. Um, just, just when I say the Busby Babes, a memory that comes to mind. It can be a word. It can be a game. It can be a player. It can be anything you want. I just want to know what, what the what the word or what the term means to you guys. So Patrick, I'll start with you, the Busby Babes. Heartbreak, unfulfilled potential. Tom? Pure joy. Pure joy watching them. And my biggest memory, Bilbao at Main Road in 1957. Uh, the heart and soul to come back from two goals down. The greatest game I ever saw, to be honest, and Tommy Taylor's greatest game for United. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom. And Roy, what about yourself, the Busby Babes? They were my life. End of Christmas Day, 1957 against Luton. Ten-year-old. What a Christmas present. Guys, thank you so much. Tom Clare, Roy Cavanagh, MBE. He's being modest by not putting that at the end of his name. <laughs> Honestly, he tells us that that's how we should address him whenever we talk him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, Patrick Burns, uh, the chairman of the MMMF as well, doing some fantastic word, uh, work. And, uh, and of course, thank you to everyone who paid tribute on Saturday. Thank you to everyone who continues to spread the word about the Busby Babes and the legacy that they live on with uh, within our football club. Thank you guys for watching. Take care. Stay safe. There will be another. Take care, everybody. Take care, guys. Thank you.